right then. Welcome to the second episode of Wrestler's Court with myself, Joe Taylor. We have a lot to discuss today. Many things going on within WWE and AEW. We've even got a little bit of Japan to talk about today as well. Hope you're all doing well. So I'm just going to get straight into it. Like I say, we have a lot to go through today. Hopefully I shall keep you all as entertained as I possibly can. By all means, give me your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram after you've listened. Let me know what you're thinking. But we are going to start with one of the best women's wrestlers in the world today. A wrestler who I have a huge amount of time for and who I very much enjoy, but who needs to lose pretty soon. And that is Bianca Belair. I am a huge Bianca Belair fan. I was a big, big fan of her getting squashed by Becky Lynch, which I get sounds a bit counterintuitive to the points I'm making here. But what I loved about that is it put Bianca in a point where she was chasing the title. And I feel that that's where she's at her best. I'm not comparing them as wrestlers, but I always felt Stone Cold Steve Austin was the same. I always loved him chasing the belt he was a great champion don't get me wrong but on the chase is where he was at his best i feel like bianca is exactly the same that six month build up to wrestlemania was in my opinion her best work whether it be on promos or in the ring as well smashing everyone on a collision course with becky lynch and then boy did they deliver at wrestlemania that match was incredible one of the matches of the night since then she's obviously been champion for a long time and i was all for her being champion the issue is i feel she's getting a little stale now i'm kind of i have no real interest in what she's up to anymore which is the polar opposite of what she was or what i felt she was before she was champion where i was completely invested in her in her storyline in her chase in her getting the belt back after being squashed she did that it was great but it's been over a year now and if i'm honest i can't think of too many of her rivalries that she's had since being champ that have particularly interested me or have really engaged me i've enjoyed it but as the months go on the less invested i am in terms of night of champions her match with asuka is probably the match i'm interested in the least when it comes to title matches Part of that does have to go down to Asuka as well, who I think, since turning heel, has looked slightly off the pace. I didn't really enjoy their match at WrestleMania. Well, that's not really fair. I thought the match was good, and I probably would have enjoyed it more had we not seen the night before Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair, which is, I think, in the conversation for the greatest women's wrestling match in WWE history for sure one of my favorite WrestleMania matches of all time and it actually eclipsed the first match between Charlotte and Rhea at Mania which I thought was an unbelievable match especially given the circumstances so I, I do think that took the shine off Bianca and Asuka a little bit but the match itself it just felt to me at least a, a little disjointed a little bit like Asuka's not fully on the pace at the moment as well 
and then Bianca can't work around her well enough. Again, I could be wrong. I, this could just be Asuka's changed her style to go with her heel persona, which I don't hate, but I'm not loving either. I think Asuka has potential to be a really, really good heel. They do need to give her a bit more time as well in terms of on the mic or on promos. She's not done a huge amount apart from come out the last couple of weeks and spit in Bianca's face. But again, this then carries over to my disinterest in Bianca as champion. I feel that she's not done a good enough job in promos, really selling these matches as well. I absolutely loved her match with EO Sky. The only issue I actually had with that match was EO not going over. I thought there was actually a story to tell there with EO winning the title, and then you have a bit like when Randy won the world title and he was part of Evolution and Triple H turns on him. You then have the perfect excuse to get EO out of damage control because Bailey gets jealous, turns on her, blah, blah, blah. That's a different storyline and a different conversation for another day. I'm actually pretty high on damage control. But yeah, the, the issue Bianca has at the moment is she's supposed to be the, I guess, top baby face in the women's division. And I kind of, I, I want to say I lose, which is not a good sign. That that makes me think her title run is done. She needs to drop it and do something else. Keep her away from the belt for a little bit. Make her chase it again, because that's always glorious. I'm a big, big fan of Bianca, but she needs to, if they're not going to take the title off her, they need to take her in a different direction. I don't see her being a great heel, although if you really push the arrogance and being the best, then... That's certainly possible. That's kind of the only way I can think where they will make her title reign a bit more interesting at the moment. I'm a bit bored of just seeing her skip to the ring, twirl her hair, put on a decent enough match, and then walk away with the title. There's issues there. I think she has to take some responsibility for where she's at as the champion as well. My assumption being at Night of Champions, she will go over again and retain the title. The problem with that is it completely kills Asuka because she's then lost twice. If Asuka goes over, the only issue I'm then going to have is we're going to have to see a third match. And my worry would be they'll put it straight back on Bianca. But again, that's a worry for another day. If I was to pick, Asuka goes over, she cheats, she does the mist, Rolls are up, one, two, three. Asuka goes on to something else. Bianca goes on to something else too. Let Asuka be the heel. Let her refuse Bianca the rematch. Let her be a real bitch about it. Get Asuka wrestling some nobodies for a few weeks. Just smashing people. Make her look strong as well. Because as I say, I actually don't particularly like her booking since she's came back either. So there is certainly some work to be done. Especially if you compare it to... Rhea Ripley, which we are going to talk about as well, but Rhea has looked dominant as champion. She looks like a champion. I'm fully invested in her being the women's title holder over on Raw. They need to switch the belts over. I don't fully understand why she's still SmackDown champ and Bianca's still Raw champ, but that's just WWE being a bit weird. I assume at some point they will switch them over. But if you look at the two title reigns, obviously Rhea's has been a lot shorter and it's a lot newer, but it's also a lot more interesting at the moment. Having said that, that does bring me over nicely to the fact that she's wrestling Natalia on the weekend in a match that I couldn't care less about. I think it's a really bizarre booking decision by WWE to put Natalia in this match because all Natalia does or has done for the last year or so 
is turn up, wrestle, and generally lose. I don't really understand how that puts her in title contention. I get that she's the pretty much longest-serving wrestler on the books. It's, it's her or Tamina. I don't know which one it is. They've both been around forever. Obviously, Natalia's a lot more active than Tamina. And I do like Natalia, and I think she's a decent wrestler. I don't think she's got another title run in her. I certainly don't think she should be beating Rhea at the moment when Rhea has looked so dominant in the build-up to WrestleMania. She then has this unbelievable match with Charlotte where Charlotte helps make her look great. Since then, she's obviously had the match with Zelina, which I really, really enjoyed, and Rhea going over was definitely the right choice. But yeah, this match with Natalia, I have little to no interest in. The only way... I believe they make it kind of make sense as if Rhea absolutely squashes Natalia in the space of about three minutes, just steamrolls her. It makes Rhea look even stronger again. She beats a well-tenured veteran in Natalia. It make, makes quick work of it. At the same time, it doesn't really take much away from Natalia because, well, she's not been doing anything lately anyway. And we can then put Natalia... Really put, put her in the tag team division. I, I do think she's great. She does a good job of helping train up the new girls. I, I certainly think she has a place in the division overall. But for me, it's it's not it's just not an interesting match, Rhea versus Natalia. And Natalia's not a singles competitor that I see going for titles. She is... Obviously, she's above an enhancement talent. If, if there was a mid-card women's title... I could certainly see Natalia work in that, but at the moment I feel like all I need to do is get Rhea to squash Natalia, put Natalia in a tag team, but actually build that as a team because I do think she could do quite a lot for the women's tag team division and then let Rhea go on to new things. They've got enough talent within that division to make more interesting rivalries for Rhea. So fingers crossed, something will get done on that end as well. Generally, Speaking, I think the women's divisions in WWE are probably the strongest out of all of the big federations. I know there's going to be some fans who are going to shout at me and say stardom is the best. I'm not going to lie. I don't watch stardom whatsoever. The closest I've came to watching stardom was when Mercedes went over. And, well, we're going to talk about Mercedes in a second. But, yeah, in terms of, especially for a North American audience... WWE's women's division is far superior. They've got the talent. They have the ability to create superstars. There's a lot to be done with Rhea still and Bianca, but I think especially Bianca needs to either drop the belt or they really need to repackage, rework her whole gimmick because it's a little stale now, unless she's going to drop the belt and start chasing again. Anyway, let's get away from WWE just for a minute, because we've already mentioned her. So let's go on to Mercedes Monet, who... I'm going to cause a bit of an uproar here and say that... I don't really think WWE have missed her a huge amount. I certainly don't think they've missed her as much as she thought they would, or probably hoped they would. And I haven't been the biggest fan of her run in Japan since she left. I fully respect why she's went. I actually think for her it was the right decision to leave. She's done everything in WWE. She has no nothing else to conquer there. She gets to go to Japan. She's clearly 
a lover of wrestling. I, I have no argument there. She loves wrestling. She is a very good wrestler. I don't think she's as good in the ring as she thinks she is. But she's still a brilliant wrestler. She's still one of the top women in the world today. Her run has been all right, but injury prone. Obviously, she got hurt on the weekend against Willow Nightingale in a really bizarre situation because they'd obviously, from if you believe Dave Meltzer, who, well, I try not to, but that belt was built specifically for Mercedes to hold. She calls the audible in the ring because she's, I mean, from the look of it, absolutely fucked. So they, they put the belt on Willow Nightingale, which, to be fair, I actually really like. I think it's a good push for Willow. I've watched some of her stuff in AEW. She certainly has potential. She is a good wrestler. It gives her something. My worry is that if Sasha Mercedes, sorry, isn't going to be out for too long, that the second she comes back, she just takes the belt, and that makes Willow a bit of a placeholder. It does look like it does look like Mercedes is actually pretty badly injured. The concussion is whatever. I know it's not whatever, but in terms of time off. But the broken foot, that's probably a, a long way to come back from. I know there's been conflicting reports, whether it's her foot or her ankle. Hopefully it's the foot, because that's a bit of a quicker recovery. Ankle's a much bigger problem. Look at AJ Styles. He was out for over a year. So, fingers crossed she does come back. I, I am... It sounds like I'm shitting all over right now. I'm, I'm really not. I'm just not overly sold on what she's done as of yet. Having said that, she's certainly done a good job of bringing more eyes to Japanese wrestling, myself included. I don't watch a huge amount of Japanese wrestling. It's just not my thing. But it certainly made me cast an eye over what's going on over there because she's there. She is a star. She's obviously in The Mandalorian as well. So I do hope she heals up well and comes back what it has shown me though is that within the wwe whether you like this or you're not they have a really good track record of pulling people back and making them perform at their best and not going too crazy i think we see this in aew a lot where wrestlers go from wwe over to aew and there's a lot less management over there and we see people getting hurt a lot more. Don't get me wrong, there's injuries in WWE, there is in all wrestling, it's a dangerous sport, but at the same time, it's a lot more prominent everywhere else outside of WWE. I get that some people like that crazy, crazy style where people are flying around all the time, but it inevitably means you get more injuries. WWE certainly work a bit of a safer style, and for the longevity of the wrestler, you can't deny that that is better for them it's better for their careers it means they can be on tv a lot more it means they can wrestle a lot more i can see the argument either or but i feel like mercedes has proven this again because she's been given a lot more freedom to do what she wants in japan and she's repeatedly got injured which is not really what you want to see and for her longevity it's not going to be helping anything at all so yeah speedy recovery mercedes i look forward to seeing you back it'd be interesting to see what you do i have no idea what your contract's like when it comes to Japan, but will you go to AEW? I kind of hope not, mainly because you are far better than that women's division. You'll be so far ahead of them, you look a bit too out of place. Would you go back to WWE? I would watch it. 
and it would probably make you a lot of money but again as mentioned there's nothing there for you to do outside of chase charlotte's record or something crazy like that so yeah I, i'm interested to see what she does but speedy recovery i'm looking forward to her returning and hopefully putting on some really good matches whether it be in japan or america so fingers crossed that all goes well now this one i was debating whether to talk about but i put it up on my tiktok earlier and a few people were talking about it as well so i thought let's talk about the immortal hulk hogan now i think if we look past his we'll go with political views on the mistakes he has made in his later career if you look at him strictly as a wrestler he has to be in terms of popularity in the top four probably top three of all time in terms of popularity but top four for sure in terms of just popularity and mainstream fame it has to be hulk hogan stone cold steve austin the rock and john cena those four have got to be the biggest wrestlers of all time i'm not necessarily saying any of them are the best wrestlers but in terms of mainstream fame those four are the top and you can probably go in any order probably the rock number one now but hulk hogan especially in the 80s and 90s there was no bigger star i love hulk hogan as a wrestler as well which is a bit controversial because everybody says that hulk hogan can't work and he does the same match i kind of get that but he's able to do it in a way that in the 90s i wanted to keep watching him regardless in the early 2000s when he came back to wwe i still wanted to see him that guy has unbelievable charisma and he can connect with a crowd better than 99 percent of wrestlers have ever been able to do he always had something about him now as much as i've just bigged him up i'm now going to really knock him down because he was on ariel helwani's show and he was chatting about how he wants to have his retirement match which already i'm out i don't think anybody really wants to see that match I, I can't see a reason why anybody would want to see hulk hogan wrestle again because it's not going to be good he's 70 years old now I, I don't see them i don't see hulk hogan being in a match with anyone that's moderately interesting now he already in the early to mid 2000s in his last run in wwe was starting to look pretty slow and you could tell that he was having a lot of issues moving around and that was 20 years ago i don't really know what he thinks would come of this look at rick flair's last match which was absolutely appalling you had one of the greatest ring technicians of all time and he looked awful what makes me worry about this even more is that he's talking about wrestling stone cold steve austin who as i've just mentioned is one of the most famous wrestlers of all time and he is in my top probably top five favorite wrestlers of all time i love stone cold steve austin i grew up during the attitude era anyone who grew up during the attitude era loves stone cold steve austin i don't know a single person who grew up in my era who doesn't love stone cold steve austin i loved seeing austin come back last year against kevin owens I actually thought I would hate it and I really didn't want him to come back because I was worried that it would tarnish his legacy 
but they had him in there with the right guy. Him and Kevin Owens did a great job. The match was fun. It was exactly what it should have been. Austin obviously looked a little slower and a little stiffer than he would, which is to be expected, being out of the ring for 20 years. You can tell that because he's getting older, he's obviously got a shirt on now as well, which, again, I don't really care about. Having said that, him against Hulk Hogan this day and age will be an absolute train wreck of a match. If you're getting a wrestling match nowadays where Stone Cold Steve Austin is the young guy in the ring, that's going to be a match that's not good. He needs to be the old veteran with a younger guy who can kind of wrestle around him. I'm kind of open to Austin wrestling again if it's against the right guy. Someone like Seth Rollins would help make Austin look phenomenal. I'd be all for that. AJ Styles can wrestle anyone and make them look good. That's what Undertaker said about wanting to wrestle AJ. He knows that it'll be a great match regardless of the opponent. So that kind of thing, I'm kind of all for, just for the spectacle of bringing Austin back and making him look good. Stunner, one, two, three, beer bath, happy days. I don't want to see Hulk Hogan in the ring with anyone. I certainly don't want to see him in the ring with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I can't see a way in which that match is remotely good for either wrestler. I don't, I'm guessing Austin would go over, but it's just going to be two old men in the ring trying to move around and have them in the ring doing a promo. It was great when you had Austin, The Rock and Hogan out in the ring together just shooting the shit, having some fun in the, the Silver Dome or the Super Dome and having a bit of fun. I'm all for those kind of things. We don't need to see Hulk Hogan wrestle again, especially not against a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin who is so far past his prime as well. Please keep away from that match, WWE. I'm praying that that match doesn't happen. I know there was talk of Hulk Hogan against Shane McMahon. I also really don't want to see that match, especially now that Shane has shown that age has finally picked up with him as well, and he snapped his leg at Mania. So keep Hogan out of the ring. I'm still for having him as a personality. I know he got booed out the building last year as the host of Mania, which, look, he kind of deserves. He's uh, said and done some, we'll go with, less than favourable things, but at the same time, the guy's a legend. He's one of the biggest earners in wrestling history. But please, please keep him out of the ring. We do not need any Hulk Hogan matches in the future. Look at his last run in TNA. His last match there was awful. I know he did a tour after that that wasn't on TV that, for all intents and purposes, was also terrible. And again, we're talking that was about 10 years ago. Keep Hulk Hogan out of the ring. Keep him as a legend. Same with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Certainly don't pair them together. Please, WWE, please, I'm begging you, do not do this. Okay, we had a bit of fun talking about Hulk Hogan. We're now going to get a bit more serious because what I want to talk about is the potential cuts coming into WWE. It's been speculated quite a lot online over the last few months, but especially since the sale has happened, it kind of looks like cuts are inevitable. And I think it probably makes sense. I think WWE's roster is a bit too deep at the moment. I don't think it's as bad as AEW in terms of the amount of unused talent that they have. But I do think they could probably trim a few people off and still have a successful show. 
not that I want to see anyone get cut, but I think it actually might work out well for certain people's careers as well. But I was looking through who I thought might get cut. We'll just speculate it. If you have any thoughts as well, like I say, shoot me a message on Twitter or on Instagram. Let me know what you think. I'll put these up on TikTok as well. What I did in terms of looking at who I thought might get cut was I pretty much looked at the draft and who wasn't drafted or who was put as a free agent who wasn't called Brock Lesnar. Because look, Brock's not going anywhere. He's still, he's still money. He's still in big programs. Makes sense having him as a free agent because you can move him back and forth between shows. So outside of that, I was looking at who the free agents were and who I thought could probably be a little worried at the moment or should probably be a little worried that they're not going to be in WWE much longer and they'll get the uh, good luck in your future endeavors posts. So I think Omos is probably fine. I'd be really surprised if they cut him. They seem to be quite big on Omos. So we'll rule him out as well. I think Omos will be okay. Now, the next one that worries me, and the reason it worries me is I think he's very, very underrated, is Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin is very good at his job. Now, Baron Corbin gets a huge amount of hate online. He gets a lot of people complain about him, say that he's rubbish, say that he's crap, that they hate him. Bloody, bloody, blah. What that tells me is he's doing a really good job as a heel. A really good job. I think he is very underrated in the ring, and I think he's a very, very smart worker. I believe it was last year he was on a podcast. I want to say it was Corey Graves' podcast. And he talked about his mentality as a heel and how he gets a lot of people complain that he only does seven or eight moves in the ring and he's very one-dimensional and that upsets them. He's absolutely ran with that. He said at the time, that's good. If that upsets you, I'm going to keep just doing those seven moves. And he has done. He's very talented in the ring. If you look at his earlier run as the Lone Wolf, when he was putting on longer, more, I suppose, interesting matches, he's got the athleticism. He was an American football player. He's very athletic. He's being a smart heel. He's pissing you off by being a bit one-dimensional in the ring. I like him a lot. I thought they had something going when he was poor and down on his luck. When they gave him his millions again and put him with Madcap Moss. I kind of, I was on the fence. I understood what they were trying to achieve with it. It didn't quite click. And since then, he's just a job guy. I hated seeing him get squashed by Cameron Grimes last week. I don't really think it's done a huge amount for Cameron Grimes either. I, I, I'm guessing the thought process was Baron Corbin's quite well known. Cameron Grimes to the wider audience is a complete unknown. So get him a nice big win, nice and quickly over a big name, and that'll make him look good. But Baron Corbin loses all the time. It just means that when Cameron Grimes wrestles next, if he doesn't win it quick, it makes the Baron Corbin match a bit pointless. So, again, that's another conversation for another day in terms of Cameron Grimes, but I would worry, because I think Baron Corbin's on quite a lot of money as well, that he might be up for the chop. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that he is very much in their plans for the future. He's not going to be a world champion anytime soon. I, I get that. He kind of, he had the chance with the money in the bank years ago and that 
we'll go with didn't go very well. But as a heel and as a heel worker, he is underrated. He can certainly do a job. He's able to make other people look good. He's able to make upcoming faces a bit bigger as well. So I'm all for Baron Corbin, which I'm probably one of the few podcasters out there who will say that, but I am team Baron Corbin, absolutely. I look forward to hopefully seeing him in the future get put in some better programs and get pushed on a little bit. Now, next to the free agents I'm looking at, who, if I'm honest, I, I never want to see anyone lose their job, but I believe might actually benefit from being released is Elias. Elias is a really strange one in that his first couple of years within WWE, I was pretty high on him. I liked his gimmick. He's very creative on the guitar. He's able to make up some pretty fun songs to get heat. He was an absolute heat magnet for a couple of years. But he kind of got typecast and stuck in this role. He kind of was booked into a corner. He was just the guy who would come out, play the guitar, upset some people, and then get squashed. And that only goes for so long, and he was part of some really fun moments. I enjoyed The Undertaker coming back and smashing Elias. I really liked Edge coming back at SummerSlam, I believe it was, in Canada. Hitting the spear, first time you get to see Edge do anything sort of physical, that was cool. But then it really dropped off, because again, how often can you do that before it becomes old hat? He's decent in the ring. He, he really is decent in the ring. What he, he doesn't get enough credit for is that guy is in shape. Like, he is absolutely jacked. A lot more jacked than people realise. I think it showed when they tried and failed with the whole Ezekiel experiment. Which, again, I really wanted to like, but it just didn't click. It felt like he was not comfortable in that role. He tried his best, but it just didn't work. Since then, they've killed Ezekiel off and brought Elias back, but it's not worked. It's not the same. It kind of never was going to be the same, so I, I don't really know what they can do. They've tried taking him off TV for a long time and repackaging him. That didn't work. They've brought him back in his old gimmick, and nobody really cares anymore, which sounds ha harsh, but is true. I think if he does get cut, he's, it gives him the opportunity to go elsewhere, try out new things, work out a gimmick that works better for him, because he can wrestle. I'm not saying he's the best wrestler in the world, but he can put on a good match. He's in phenomenal shape. I don't think he should go to AEW either. What I do think would be a really good fit for him is Impact Wrestling. Smaller shows, smaller crowd get a chance to build up either a bunch of heat or come back as a babyface. I do believe he can do either. I think he's a better heel, but that's probably because I've mostly seen him as a heel. He has a lot of potential still. Leaving WWE, I don't think would be the end for him. I, I believe there would be organizations who would be interested in him. Like I say, I, I would fear in AEW he would get a bit lost in the pack whereas at impact he could be somewhere near the top if repackaged right given the right opportunities he could do something pretty good again i'm not going to sit here and say i think he's going to come back in 
two years to the WWE and be Drew McIntyre and go for world titles. I'm not necessarily necessarily sure he has that in him, but he has a lot of potential still. He just needs a, a bit of a break and probably to go elsewhere. Elsewhere, free agents. We have Hit Row, which has been a bizarre one. Their entire WWE career has been a bit weird. I, I didn't see very much of them in NXT because at the time I wasn't watching too much NXT. But they get the call up to SmackDown, all the bells and whistles, really big on them, and then they get cut and don't do anything. It's, it's not like AEW or Impact or Japan came running for any of them. It was a bit of a bizarre one. Triple H seems to be really high on Hit Row. They were one of his first big signings when he took over Creative Control, when Vince took his sabbatical, shall we say, from WWE. And I really want to like them. I really do. I respect Top Dollar a lot for his weight loss. He looks, well, he looks older because of the weight loss now, but he's done a great job job losing the weight unfortunately for him he tried to dive over the top rope and it's all anyone ever thinks about was him not even getting an inch off the ground and falling over the top rope it was a terrible botch on live tv there's no getting around it what makes me think they don't have any real plans for him is they keep letting michael cole go after him pretty much the second he comes on tv and keep reminding us of it it's it's a bit like the Titus O'Neil fall at the greatest rumble whenever you think Titus O'Neil you just think of that fall because it was hilarious the problem with top dollar is no matter what he does now I know I just think about him falling over the top rope so I think they should be worried I know they weren't in the uh they're not free agents but I would worry about them long term. I, I don't know what the contract was that they signed when coming back, when negotiating negotiating it with Triple Triple H. I do like Ashante the Adonis. I, I, there's something about that guy that makes me think he might have something. I don't know what it is yet, and he hasn't had enough time to shine. But out of the three of them, he's probably the one I would be tempted to keep. B Fab. I'm not sold on whatsoever. I don't really know what she brings. She's not great in the ring. She's not great on the mic. She looks good, but outside of that, I'm not really sure what she brings. And there's a lot more talented women on the roster, I would say, than her. Again, I'm not saying I necessarily want her to go, but I could see why they would release her as well. So that'll be an interesting thing to see. The only other two I really want to talk about were... Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. I really like both of those guys. And the fact they're still there brings me immense hope that at some point they're going to bring back the Hurt Business. Because the Hurt Business should never have been disbanded. I hated that they pulled them apart and pushed Bobby by himself. The Hurt Business were a great faction. They were one of the best factions in WWE at the time. They made everybody within that team look strong. They all built around Bobby, which is absolutely what they should have done. He was 100% leading that team. But all those guys looked really strong. It gave Sheldon something to do because as a singles competitor these days, Sheldon's not going to bring anything to the table. 
Cedric, it seems again, they're not so interested in him as a singles competitor either. So it gave them an opportunity to be a really good tag team and get them in some main event slots as well as the Hurt Business. I'm still hopeful that that's going to happen. I, I really hope that Sheldon and Cedric stay on and they do reform the Hurt Business. I know there's been talk of the Hurt Business rebuilt with Omos as well. I'm actually fine with that as long as it's led by Bobby. We can't have Omos leading the faction. He's nowhere near good enough. He's far too green for that. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But I, I really hope that Shelton and Cedric stay. We shall see. I have missed one person off my list. This is a bit of an outside shout for who might be in the running for the chop as well. I hope not, but there's been a few things that make me think she may be going, and that is Nikki Cross. Now, I really, really like Nikki Cross. I, I wasn't a big fan of her run as Nikki Ash, but you have to say it was her most successful time because she won the women's title. I get it was only for a week, but she's still done it. But Nikki Cross as just a crazy Scotswoman, I'm all for. She's mental, she's fun, she's got a lot of energy. She'll put on a decent enough match if you put her in the, in the ring with the right people. However, she's been off TV for a while now, or when she has been on, it's been very short-lived. I did see that she's been studying and she's done some sort of qualification. So that makes me think maybe she's trying to get a bit of a backup plan in place if WWE doesn't work out. Which is very smart. I think a lot more wrestlers should do that. They should always have backup plans. But yeah, I think Nikki Cross might be in contention for getting cut as well. I do hope I'm wrong. Just to clarify, I don't want to see her gone. I think she gives something to the women's division. But we'll have to wait and see. But outside of those, I'm not really sure who else we might see leave. But shoot your, shoot your comments on the Twitter, on TikTok. Let me know what you think. I'm hoping they're not going to be too wholesale like they were a few years ago. But at the same time, as a business and as a company, I get why they would want to trim a few people from that wage bill at the moment as well. Okay, so we're going to go from cuts to a relatively new team that are actually one of the oldest teams in terms of name in WWE at the moment. And that is the LWO. I like the fact they've brought the LWO back. I'm kind of all for the merchandise side of it and having Rey Mysterio run the LWO. He is obviously a, a complete veteran now, if you want to feel sad. Look at any pictures of Rey Mysterio, Mysterio without his mask on these days and you'll see he kind of just looks like a little old man now, which makes me sad because he is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He can still go in the ring. He's obviously not what he was 15 years ago. But that guy can still put on a good match. I like him leading a faction. I like it being the Latino World Order, bringing all that back. That's all pretty cool. What I don't like is the WWE's inability to push the rest of that team. I think Santos Escobar kind of has a bit of a name already, so he doesn't need as pushed, and he's obviously the next guy outside of Ray. I would assume at some point... In the future, the idea would be for Santos to turn on Ray and take over LWO by himself, but that's whenever in the future, hopefully no time soon. The big problem is for the other two guys, Cruz Del Toro and Joaquin Wilde. Now, I'm not saying this to be 
offensive I'd have put either guy down, but Cruz del Toro, I couldn't actually, off the top of his head, remember that guy's name, and I had to Google it. Now, I'm a big wrestling fan, and I know but what I thought was the name of all the wrestlers in WWE especially. The fact I've had to Google that guy's name shows me that they're not pushing that team remotely how they should be. I'm not saying that they need to be at the forefront of the LWO. Ray should obviously be the main guy, and Santos is certainly bigger than those two as well. But let me know who they are. Put them in some matches. Get the name out there a little bit more. I understand why they push them speaking in Spanish a lot because there's a big Latino audience when it comes to WWE and they are the Latino world order. I'm absolutely all for that. I certainly don't think they need to speak English 24-7. At the same time, if they're going to connect with the audience, they need to talk a bit and they need to get mentioned a little bit more. There's been talk of SmackDown putting on a third hour, which I'm going to speak about at length later, but hopefully if they do that, that gives them more time as well. They get more opportunities. Get them in the ring. They don't even need to win. Put them as the tag team that loses. And then whoever beats them then goes on to face Ray and Santos in a much bigger, more interesting feud. I'm all for that. I'm happy that they're getting a bit of a push, but they're not being marketed or pushed in the way that they need to be for the LWO to feel like a big deal. They have suffered a few losses recently. Although saying that, they start to turn that around a little bit, which I like because they need to look like a strong faction. They have an absolutely legendary faction name that they're working off of. So let's make it mean something. In terms of what I think they should do with the LWO next, there's a, a few different factions within SmackDown that they can play around with and feud with. I do think one sticks out more than the rest. I'm going to go with a couple of options and then go with my opinion. The one that stuck out to me first was actually the OC because you then get the options of you have Ray versus AJ Styles, which, although they are two aging legends, I would pay to see them wrestle all day, every day, twice on Sundays. Those two guys will just always put on a good match. I refuse to believe you will ever put them in a match together, and it will not be anything short of very, very good. Most of the time, I think it would probably be great. So you get Ray heading the LWO, AJ heading the OC, you get them going back and forth. You then get to do Mia Yim versus Zelina Vega, which pushes both of them. Selena's riding high after her match with Rhea. She's getting a lot of support. You get her versus Mia Yim. They'll put on a decent match. I think Rhea, Mia Yim is very underrated in the ring. I think it gives her the opportunity to take some of the spotlight as well. And we then get to do the Good Brothers versus any version of Santos, Joaquin, and Cruz. I like that idea. I, I think that could be potentially good, but it's not where I'm going with this. Another one is, if they don't get released, Hit Row. The problem with if they put them in a feud with Hit Row, it makes the LWO immediately feel mid-card and less important because I my worry would be the, that Hit Row would pull them down as opposed to LWO building up Hit Row. We've also got the Street Profits. Obviously, there's only the two of them. But that could be quite fun with the Santos, Joaquin and Cruz going against the Street Profits. They'll just put on good matches. That could certainly be something. But in terms of what I want to see with the LWO, is I want to see LWO versus the Brawling Brutes. 
any concoction of those matches together, I think is great. And I like how conflicting their styles are. You get the luchadors from the LWO. They're smaller, they're lighter, they're going to fly around. You've then got the hard-hitting, brawling brutes who are just looking just to kick ass. Sheamus versus Ray will be a, a hard-hitting match for Ray, but it'll be fun. It'll be good to see Ray working with another very experienced veteran who he can kind of fly around with. Whilst Sheamus gets a an, an easier ride than he's had recently with people like Drew or Gunter, he gets to give his body a bit of a break because Ray's not going to be as nearly hard-hitting as that. So that gives you that option, which I think is always going to be fun. I think, I think the promos between Sheamus and Ray could be quite amusing as well. You also get to see something like um, Santos Escobar versus Pete Dunne, two NXT guys, two smaller guys putting on an absolute clinic. That match would probably be the match of the feud, to be honest. Better than Ray versus Sheamus. Santos Escobar versus Pete Dunne. Give me that all the time. Again, I can't see them putting on a bad match. Let them trade some wins. That would be class. And as well as that, you then get Ridge Holland versus either of the other two guys or against both of them because Ridge the Fridge is an absolute unit. He's a big, strong dude. He can throw those guys around a little bit. He can do some two-on-one matches. It does make them a little weak if Ridge wins, but it opens up opportunities. It opens up possibilities. Again, we then get the options of putting together Pete Dunne with Ridge against both Cruz del Toro and Joaquin Wilde. Or we do the three-way match where you have Rey Mysterio, Santos, and then either Cruz or Joaquin versus the Brawling Brutes. The way you build that match is really easy. You just get the Brawling Brutes to beat up either Joaquin or Cruz, whichever one's not going to be in the match. They're then out of commission, so the other three go head-to-head. That match would be, in Sheamus' words, an absolute banger. I think that brings both teams up. It would be interesting. It would be fun. I am absolutely all for it. That's where I believe we should be going with the LWO. Again, let me know what you're thinking, but in my opinion, that's the feud to go with next. Now, only got a couple more bits to talk about today. I have absolutely loads to talk about, but I'm running out of time, and I don't want you to get bored with this. So, what I want to talk about is... Matt Cardona and or previously known as Zack Ryder. Now, I think Matt's probably had the best run out of anyone since leaving WWE in a very long time. I'm putting him and his run over John Moxley. I'm putting it over Brian Danielson. I'm putting it over Mercedes Monet. Anyone who you can think of recently who's left WWE, who's done great things, and there's been a bunch, like I say, the three the three I've just mentioned have all done good stuff. M- Matt Cordon has done something different. He didn't go to AEW, he didn't go to Impact, he didn't go to any of the big shows. What he's done is he's went and completely reinvented himself. He was so stuck in WWE as Zack Ryder, he was never going to be anything more than a short-term intercontinental or short-term US title champion and even then it was going to be like they say short reigns he was never going to be dominant he was never going to be figured in at the top of the card he's just went and created a brand new full-on persona he's went through the indies he's won titles everywhere he's went and had death matches which are so far away from the 
idea of what Zack Ryder was. I absolutely love what he's done. I'm not a big GCW fan. I'm not a big Deathmatch fan, really. But it makes total sense what he's done. He has built his persona on Twitter as well. The big question, I suppose, is what's he going to do next? Because he probably can't do this forever. Hell, maybe he can. I'm sure he's making very good money from it and having a lot of fun for it. But I thought it was interesting to sit and have a think about where he should go if he's going to go to one of the bigger organisations. Now, the one that I suppose makes the most sense is AEW, but I don't think it's the right choice for him. I think he'd do well there. I, I certainly think he'd do all right. They'll push him right. There's a lot of good feuds there. My worry would be he'll get a little bit lost in the shuffle because their talent roster is absolutely gigantic at the moment. And there's other people who are already established within AEW that I think I would like to see get more of a push. I don't think he should go back to WWE yet, but I do think long-term that's probably where he should go. Obviously, Chelsea Green's there, so it makes sense for him to want to be there. At the moment, they seemingly can work him not, not being in WWE and her being there, which is great. I think the best place for him at the moment is Japan. Which is weird for me to say because, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I don't actually watch a huge amount of Japanese wrestling. And I'm not a big fan of Japanese wrestling on a whole. Just to clarify what I mean by that, I like a lot of crowd participation. And you don't get a lot of that in Japan. I'm sure if I sat down and actually watched a bunch of Japanese wrestling, I would love it. It's more of a time thing as well. So if you want to have a go at me on TikTok or Twitter about my lack of knowledge of Japanese wrestling... Point me in the right direction. Tell me what I should be watching that is going to bring me round to New Japan or any of the other big organisations there. You point me in the right direction, I will absolutely give it a go. But at the same time, I'm not just going to like it because you say I should. I'll give you my opinions. Again, I am a WWE fan, so I'm assuming some of you will slate me for that anyway. But like I said, I do like AEW and Impact as well. But yeah, I think Mac O'Donnell should go to Japan. I think he could do a, a lot of good out there. Win a few more titles over in Japan. He's going to then be able to prove that he can put on great matches as opposed to just hardcore and indie matches. It gets him a different audience. It would make people like myself want to watch Japan. If he goes out there, and I, I'm only saying this because he's, he's like their biggest guy. If you get Mac O'Donnell out in Japan against Okada. I'm going to watch that match, and I'm going to watch them beat the living piss out of each other. And the good thing for Matt is he doesn't even need to win that match. If he if you give him 20, 30 minutes, and he looks strong against Okada, you know what? I'm all in. It's going to make him look good as well. If they want to go crazy, let him go over. Give him a run as, as a champion out in Japan as well. It adds more to his overall persona of going everywhere, winning belts this time he does it on a much bigger stage as opposed to on the indies or gcw or the smaller shows it builds him up for his return to north america like i say i believe wwe is where he belongs i think he could do really good there and i actually believe he could be a main event guy in wwe if he keeps pushing the way he's pushing which is crazy because if you said five years ago Joe, do you think Zack Ryder will ever be 
anywhere near a main event guy in WWE, I would have laughed you out of that conversation and said, absolutely no chance, the guy just doesn't have it. I'm happy to be proved wrong. I think he's done an unbelievably spectacular job on the indies, winning titles everywhere. I'm all for his new persona. Keep pushing it. At some point, get him back into WWE after a, a, a nice run in Japan. It makes him, it makes his return feel more like a big deal. The only way I then think that WWE will mess it up is if they bring him back as Zack Ryder. The hope is what they do is they bring him back similar, not as big, I get it, but similar to how they did with Cody Rhodes. Cody comes out, we don't mention Stardust, he does his little his little cartwheel, and he's like, there you go, Stardust is done, I'm Cody Rhodes, let's go. Bring Matt out, do woo-woo-woo, and then we're done. That's over, that's done. Matt Cardona's here to go, let's smash some people up. I'm all for it. So yeah, I just want to give some props to Matt Cardona on what I think he should do next. And last but not least, as we've not spoken about it, AEW, specifically I want to talk about the Four Pillars match and how I... I'm not really for it. I understand the storyline. I just don't really know what they can possibly do with that match outside of MJF going over. I don't have any interest in seeing the other three as a title holder. And as much as I don't want to say this, I'm kind of past MJF as champion. He's kind of... He's suffering from his own greatness. I think similar to what Bianca was at the beginning of this podcast. MJF is my favourite wrestler in AEW. I think he is an unbelievably good heel. He makes me want to watch his matches. I believe his run against Punk was probably AEW at its peak so far. I hated his stuff with Jericho, but that's a different story. That's in the past. But everything from Punk onwards has been brilliant. The guy's an asshole, and that really sells. <laughs> he, he is such an asshole. You want to see him lose. But I'm kind of at the point I, I want to see him lose now because I don't really... I'm not as emotionally invested in him as the champion anymore. Hopefully this four-players match is pretty decent. Everyone comes out uninjured. Sammy Guevara, I'm looking at you. But hopefully he comes out looking pretty strong. It's then a case of where do we go next. There's been a lot of talk of Adam Cole. Um, I like Adam Cole a lot. He's been out for too long to be put in the title picture so far. He needs a good six-month run in AW. I'm looking forward to Adam Cole against Jericho. I actually think that's a pretty decent match. It'll make Jericho look good because although Jericho's a legend, he, he's off the pace now. He can't perform the way he previously could. Adam Cole, if he is fit, is the perfect guy to make you look good. So I'm all for that, assuming that Adam Cole goes over. But yeah, I'm not really sold on what to do with MJF next or who should be the next AEW champion. I believe it's the biggest issue in AEW at the moment in terms of building a big star who can then hold a title. I thought Brian Danielson was going to go over against MJF, and I wouldn't have actually hated that. I believe Danielson probably pushed against the idea of him going over as champion. He probably doesn't want it, but I'm not really sure where the AEW title is going to go next. 
it's a bit of a strange one they have such a packed roster but not a huge amount of people i would necessarily like to see as champion i am a little biased in who i think should be the next champion and i don't think the majority of you will agree with this but what i would like to see is pack come back and go against mjf you have the bastard versus mjf first and foremost that match is going to be great they will put on a banger of a match Pac's obviously not done a huge amount since losing the trios titles and the All-Atlantic title, or whatever that title's called that I don't care about, that Orange Cassidy holds. But put the title on Pac. It's a total out there one, but there's a big reason for it. If you do it relatively soon, we then get to go to Wembley and have an English champion defending his title in England on an AEW show. You can do pack against pretty much anyone and that will sell hugely again i know the tickets are already doing really well for wembley which is good to see i think the arena is going to be absolutely packed but do pack against kenny omega at wembley stadium that would be insane do pack against will osprey that's the one do the three-way match do pack versus will versus kenny even if pack loses the title and he has a reasonably short title reign and kenny goes over and you get to finish off your biggest stadium show with your biggest star in Kenny Omega holding the title above his head I'm all for that that's the way I think they should book the title I think get it off MJF put it on Pac let Pac go into Wembley as the world champion do Pac versus Kenny or Pac versus Will or a mix of all three I, I would I'll take the three-way match that match will be incredible that's the way AEW needs to go with the world title, in my opinion. But again, let me know what you think. I'm sure a bunch of you will disagree with that. I'm all for the back and forth here. So let me know what you think in terms of anything I've went over today. Because I'm running out of time, so I'm actually going to stop us here. So yeah, I hope you've enjoyed the second show. A little crisper. I'm going to actually play around with the audio and cut out at least some of the mistakes I've made today. But yes, send any questions over Twitter, over TikTok. Let me know what you think. My name is Joe Taylor. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you all day, and I shall catch you all again next week.